Thanks so much for joining us here on the Rivers Church Podcast. We see a church full of passionate people who reach the unchurched with the gospel of Jesus. Our heart is to equip people to love, live, and lead in God's kingdom. We hope you enjoy today's message and pray that it encourages you to be all that God has destined you to be. If you need anything, please feel free to reach out to us and check us out on our website at riverschurch.co. That's riverschurch.co. Have you ever um, you ever seen something and thought it was like beautiful, and then you learn later that it was completely historically inaccurate? Like, I have a couple of examples. I'll give you a worldly example first. Uh, Rachel and I watched this awesome movie about the guy who supposedly had invented flaming hot Cheetos. And Rachel and I watched this movie, and yo, we were bawling. Like, this movie was hilarious. It was so loving. Like, the guy is like leading his family to Jesus while also leading the world to flaming hot Cheetos, you know? And it's like awesome. And it's like a super like movie for the world, right? Yet they still kept Jesus in it. We're like, wow, this, this is great. And I, I'm telling you, like, we walked out of that, like, we got to tell everybody. Like, we're ready to evangelize this movie. And so we go to Rachel's parents' house right after. We're like, yo, we just watched this movie. We're telling about it. And her dad starts laughing. And he's like, did you guys see that article from uh, like the LA Times where it was completely inaccurate and everything you just saw was a lie and that guy's making millions of dollars? And we're like, what? Like, I cried for this man. Like, I was so excited. And he ruined everything. I was, I was so sad. I still say watch the movie. It was great. Uh, pretend I didn't tell you that. But... Uh, so here's a, here's a fun kind of biblical example. Anybody ever see, I say this because you've all seen it, but there's that famous painting of the Lord's Supper. And everyone is like, for some reason, on one side of the table, right? It's like weird. Who, who would come and just fill up one side of the table? Like, like imagine you guys are all sitting there and there's no one on the stage and you're just staring at the stage. Like that doesn't make any sense, right? Also, oftentimes, uh, <laughs> The, in the Old Testament times, people were seen eating on dining couches, which would be like you're halfway leaning over sideways and talking on your side, like the most uncomfortable way to eat ever. Uh, they didn't have science to teach them that they should have their body straight yet, you know? Uh, there's actually a really funny moment. I believe it's in The Passion of the Christ. Uh, the only part of it I watched, like the beginning, and then I was like, this is going to get bloody. Um, but at the, I think it's at the beginning of that or maybe one of those other like VHS tapes that uh, Mormons used to bring to your door when you were a kid. Um, but in the beginning, Jesus is like showing his wicked carpentry skills, right? And he builds this awesome table that's like taller than this. And he builds some chairs and uh, Mary looks at it and she's like, what is this? And he's like, it's a table. And she looks at him like, I know you're the son of God, uh, but you're dumb. And, and he's like, one day people will eat at a table like this. And you're like, that's so historically inaccurate. There's no way Jesus was like, I'm going to build you a table from the year 2023. Like, that's not happening. So with that being said, as we get into this Christmas season, let's pause for a minute and, and realize that oftentimes what we think or what we've seen uh, is historically inaccurate. Like oftentimes we, we kind of also read through the Bible. Like one of the big ones is the wise men. Uh, people think, okay, so the wise men, boom, they just showed up. And it's like, yeah, maybe three or four years later, 
right? Like the wise men weren't chilling in a, a field just like, you know, picking the grass because they were bored and then be like, boom, the savior is here. And then they went to him, right? Like it was years later that they went to him because a king was trying to kill Jesus, right? So uh, some of what we may have conceived previously isn't necessarily accurate. So keep that in mind as we get into today and uh, just open your heart to think, okay, I'm, Tony might be ruining all of my favorite Christmas movies or carols or paintings or photos. Uh, but uh, what's important here is that we see, G- we see Jesus. What was that? I thought he clapped. It was the Holy Spirit. So what's important here is we see Jesus. So today's big idea, note takers are world changers. So make sure you grab a notepad, grab your phone. If you're a phone note taker, I don't trust you. Um, I'm just saying, I'm specifically talking about my boy, Ethan, uh, who I've been mentoring. Uh, I know that my mentorship in him is not working because he still takes notes on his phone. Uh, no, it's great to be able to have access to all your notes. I get it. But I'm also extremely distracted by every notification that pops up on a phone. So uh, if you have a way to take some notes, take some notes. Today's big idea is this. It is simple and it is true. You are called. Today's big, big idea. You are called. So we look at the birth of Jesus, and uh, the beginning says this here in Luke chapter 2. I'm going to reread what Amy read to us. At that time, the Roman Emperor Augustus decreed that a census should be taken through the Roman, throughout the Roman Empire. This was the first census when Quirinius was governor of Syria. All returned to their own ancestral towns to register for the census. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. He traveled there from a village in Nazareth in Galilee, or called Nazareth in Galilee. He took with him Mary, to whom he was engaged, very clearly engaged, not married yet. They haven't done nothing, but she's pregnant, who was now expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them in the end. Whenever I read this story and I read about Joseph, it's kind of interesting. Joseph uh, kind of, uh, he seems to die when Jesus is a young age. So we really hear about Joseph in two times. We hear about Joseph in the birth of Jesus. And then we hear about Joseph when Jesus gets lost and is like teaching people in the temple and he was frantically trying to find him. Uh, But other than that, then boom, like Joseph is gone. Uh, If you watch The Chosen, like there's this moment where Mary is like, your dad would be proud of you. And you can see Jesus is conflicted. He's like, duh, because my heavenly father is always proud of me. Uh, But also I get your say in Joseph. Um, But but Joseph to me, whenever I'm reading this, this birth story, I feel like Joseph is the largest piece of plot armor I've ever seen in my life. Anybody know what plot armor is? Where's my anime nerds at? Literally the anime nerd section over here knows what plot armor is. Plot armor is actually in the Oxford dictionary. I didn't know this, but plot armor is defined as this for all of you non-nerds. It is used to refer to the phenomena in fiction whereby the main character is allowed to survive dangerous situations because they are needed to in order for the plot to continue. So basically, the plot dictates you must survive, therefore you can't die in this situation, right? One of the craziest examples of plot armor I think all of you will understand uh, is our good friends R2-D2 and C-3PO. Anybody a Star Wars nerd in here? 
I'm not talking like a fan, but like a nerd. Amy is by proxy, like Tyrone is such a nerd in this. If you've ever thought like Tyrone's a little awkward, it's because he loves Star Wars. That's it. Uh, and it's the same about me. So um, anyway, so our friends R2-D2 and C-3PO, you watch the first original trilogy, right? And you, you see them, they're involved in everything. They make it to the end. They're part of the thick plot of the original trilogy. Like imagine watching, a, well, watching episodes four, five, and six, and they're just remove R2-D2 and C-3PO. Just doesn't work, right? So then when I'm a kid, these horrible movies came out. Uh, Amy, Amy gave us a very good uh, sermon uh, about six months ago about how awful Jar Jar Binks was. And, um, but this horrible section of movies came out and, uh, it was, it was called the prequel trilogy. Anybody a prequel trilogy fan in here? Wow. Just, okay. Oh, Justin, I was gonna say just autumn. And I was gonna say that makes sense. But then Justin raised his hand. So, uh, so the, the prequel trilogy comes out and you start seeing the trailers for the prequel trilogy and boom, there's C3PO and R2D2. And you're like, what? No way. Like, these guys can't be in the prequel trilogy. Like, that doesn't work. And so you watch episodes one, two, and three, and you know C-3PO and R2-D2 are alive in four, five, and six. So all of the crazy stuff that happens can't kill them, right? Because the plot dictates, no matter what, these two have to make it to the next section of movies. We've already seen that section of movies. We know that they're alive, right? They're robots, but you get what I'm saying? We know they're alive, and so therefore the plot cannot kill them no matter what happens. There's like this running gag uh, in all of Star Wars that the stormtroopers, who look awesome, right? Like, can we just be real? When you see a stormtrooper, if I was in a futuristic time when there's an entire galaxy at war and the Empire has stormtroopers, I'm terrified, right? Like, let's be real. They look menacing. But these guys, apparently, and here's the running gag, they can't shoot. Like, they can't shoot for anything. In fact, it's such a fun running gag that later on in the, uh, the next trilogy, the, the unholy Disney trilogy, comes out, and they're like, we're going to create this really awesome stormtrooper called Phasma or whatever. I don't even remember the name. It's so horrible. And they can't shoot either, right? Like, they just can't shoot. And why? Because Luke Skywalker has to live right? The plot dictates that Luke Skywalker has to live. Plot armor. The, this happens in, in anime all the time. For any of you nerds out there, which I know it's just this section. So in anime all the time, it's like, okay, this guy has to become the king of the pirates. So he can't die, even though obviously he should be dead right now, right? Just happens constantly. And I feel like Joseph is this. Like Joseph is plot armor. Um, a couple other things that happen often with plot armor you see is like um, randomly your favorite character, your protagonist has like a cool new magical power that they never had before that was like given down to them by some ancient ancestor who locked it inside of them because of what, you know, just dumb. Now they have this magical power and boom, they can beat the antagonist because they have to, right? Or they have this random cool new strength or new strategy that they learn from their sensei in an off-screen training arc that we never got to read or hear about, right? And you're like, I knew Viet was going to laugh. Like, literally, you're like, when did you learn that? Like, how do you just do that now? That doesn't make any sense. You ever watch a movie and you're like, yo, you're dead. Like, there's no way you're alive right now. Like, you are dead. How are you even breathing? You guys can think of a movie, right? Anybody? Indiana Jones? 
plot armor all the way. Like, horrible movie. I'm just kidding. I wanted to, I wanted to make John Mark cry. That's what I was trying to do. Anyway, so, so, uh, <clears throat> so Joseph, I think, is the single bi- biggest example of plot armor in all of Scripture. So God is doing this thing 700 years later or earlier, right? And he is uh, speaking to prophets all over Israel time after time. And he starts telling them, here is what's going to happen. Like, I'm going to send a savior. And here's what this Messiah is going to look like. And they have to be from Bethlehem. And they have to be both God and man. And they have to be a descendant of David. And they just, and, 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 and right? The prophecies go on and on. And God writes himself into an impossible corner, like, how in the world can you get a guy who is both God and man and be born in Bethlehem, but also Nazareth, but also, right? Like, he is in the tightest corner an author has ever written himself into. And then, boom, here's Joseph, the perfect little descendant from David who lives in Nazareth, who has to go to Bethlehem for this census and is also, also like, weirdly now okay with the fact that his fiance is pregnant. Like, let's be real. It would take, I think for me, it would take more than an angel to convince me that like I should still marry her. Can I just be honest? I know you thought it too, right? Right? Like we sit around all the time, like waiting for an angel to show up and tell us something. He gets one. I'm just telling you, I wouldn't believe it. I'm like, that's cool. Like, where's Ashton? You're playing. You're pranking me, right? So here comes Joseph. Now, I have a couple of examples of specific prophecies that because God uses Joseph specifically to be the earthly father of Jesus, Jesus is able to fulfill. Second uh, Samuel seven twelve, David has uh, he has to be a seed of David. Joseph fulfills this as he ultimately comes down the line of David. Second Samuel uh, seven fourteen. He had to also be the son of God. This is extremely important because Joseph was did not have sexual relations with that woman, right? So he at no point got her pregnant. It was the Holy Spirit, and he gets to be the earthly father. But God, sorry, that came out, and I regretted it immediately. So I'm, try, I'm like getting into the serious part of the message, and I made that joke anyway. So God had to be the heaven. My wife is just like. She also told my family to watch, and they're watching right now, and I can guarantee my sister hates me. So anyway, so, so God had to be the heavenly father in order for Jesus to be both fully God and fully man. Micah uh, chapter 5 verse 2 says uh, he had to be born in Bethlehem because of the line specifically that Joseph was a part of. They had to travel to Bethlehem. Uh, Isaiah seven fourteen, she, uh, Jesus had to be born from a virgin. Again, Joseph did not lie with this woman. Therefore, when she was pre- impregnated by the Holy Spirit, this did not. Uh, this was fulfilled because he did not mess it up. Uh, <clears throat> this one was really fun. Uh, actually, Jesus had to be called a Nazarene, and this one was very interesting. As I was investigating, I remember uh, in Matthew, Matthew says, and this fulfills the prophecy that he would be called a Nazarene. And what's interesting is you don't find that anywhere in the Bible. 
If you actually look through all of the Old Testament prophecies, not once does it clearly state he has to be from Nazareth. It does say very clearly he has to be born in Bethlehem, but it doesn't say that he has to be born in Nazareth. So people kind of were like, well, maybe there was like another prophecy that was spoken, but it wasn't recorded. Uh, And I was like, I don't know, the Jews were really good at keeping their paperwork, right? Um, But what is actually very interesting, and and I, I... I like this because it's something that at first sounds weird and kind of like, that's a, that's a stretch, right? But we do this all the time. And I feel like the Holy Spirit uses this is that, um, so there is a specific prophecy, Isaiah 11, one, it says that he would be the branch and like big capital B, he'd be a branch. Well, branch in the Hebrew is also the same word, netzer, which I'd never heard before, netzer. And in Hebrew, they don't have vowels. So we add vowels in so we can understand Hebrew because we're heathens and we just have to have vowels to understand anything, right? You ever seen somebody like write out a word and just take out the vowels and you're like, what the heck? Like this hurts my brain, right? We can't do it. So we did it to an entire language to understand it better. So, uh, but Netzer is like N-T-Z-R and is actually a homonym for Nazareth. So the same way that we're like, and this is what I mean. We do this all the time. You know, the reason we call it the present is because it's a gift from God, right? Like we do that homonym thing all the time. And that's actually a beautiful sentiment, right? Like this is a gift from God that we are here right now. And so there is actually this kind of interesting homonym uh, prophecy where Jesus is called or the Messiah is called to be the branch of a new tree, but specifically is the essentially the homonym of Nazareth. So it's kind of like the Lord covers all bases. You know, there's a lot of um, a lot of Jewish scholars who say, "Hey, my biggest issue with Jesus is that you Christians take a lot of uh, things out of context from the Old Testament." I'll say two things. One, they're probably right because we are unfortunately Old Testament illiterate, uh, but. I'm speaking for myself too. Let's be real. Like we all prefer reading the gospels and like Paul slamming us with some truth, but we don't necessarily want to read Leviticus unless you're autumn, right? Autumn's like, that's my favorite book. Um, so anyway, but also the reason that we quote unquote, take them out of context is because when you're enlightened by the Holy spirit, then when you look back, you can see things you couldn't see before right? So, so I think both things can be true at once, right? Like we should be more literate in the in understanding of the Old Testament of scripture, but also we are thankful that we have the Holy Spirit who, who illuminates things to us that we would not be able to see by ourselves. Uh, moving on, Isaiah 53, 3, that he would be despised and rejected. So as we know, when we look at scripture, Later on, Jesus is despised and rejected, especially by the Pharisees, but he's despised and rejected by man. And so we think, cool, this is easily checkmark, right? But also Nazareth itself, the city was known as the place of the despised and the rejected. That specifically when uh, when it said in the New Testament, what good could come from Nazareth? Some people think like that's funny, like they're just making a joke, but no, literally the Jewish people were like, nothing good could come from that place. That is the place of the despised and the rejected. And Jesus comes from the place of the despised and the rejected. Jeremiah 23, five through six, uh, says that the Messiah would be, again, both God and man. As, as I said previously, that this had to take place where Joseph did not become the actual birth, uh, you know, the other half of his earthly birth, um, but he did have to take the place in here. 
So this is seven out of 351 prophecies that are very specific to the beginning of Jesus uh, that, are, that Jesus fulfills. 351, we have record that he fulfills. And here's seven of them that literally could not happen if Joseph didn't show up on the scene. If God didn't choose Joseph. Joseph is here because the plot dictates it. Joseph is plot armor. Like God is like, okay, I wrote myself in this hard thing, but here's this dude, here's this dude Joseph. I'm going to make sure, and he's drawing the lines because he's a meticulous God who writes a beautiful story, right? In fact, uh, there's 351 prophecies. Here is a chart I found online uh, that goes, it's like 11 pages. You can just keep scrolling of all of the prophecies in the Old Testament alone that Jesus fulfilled. What's beautiful about these prophecies being fulfilled is that because he fulfilled them, when he says he's coming back, we can trust him, right? So because Jesus, or because when God was writing this grand story of how he was going to create us, no, we were going to reject him, but he was going to make a way for us to be reconciled back to him. When he says he's coming back after preparing a place for him, for us, we can trust him. Amen? Like, I don't know about you all. Um, I can't even make you like a solid prophecy for what I'm going to do today. You know? I might be able to tell you I'm going to eat something. But that's pretty vague. <laughs> right? Like, I can't make a solid prophecy about my day. I can't tell you everything I'm going to do. Also, my wife holds our calendar. So therefore, as soon as we walk off, I'm going to say, I'm going to do this. And she's going to say, false. We're doing this. Right? But Jesus fulfills already 351 prophecies. So, so when, the, when, the, um, when Israel at the time, especially the Pharisees and, and ultimately Jews today, look at what Jesus did and they say, but he didn't fulfill the messianic prophecies the way we saw them. We can look and say, but he did 351, which means if he did those, he's going to do those. He's just going to do them later, right? Like we can have faith and trust in that because he fulfilled them. So here we are, the stage is set, and then boom, baby Jesus is born. Oh, what a special night. The baby Jesus is born. That's a song we sing in the kids like every year, and it gets stuck in my head every Christmas. Um, literally last Christmas, I was just like, baby Jesus was born, like 3,000 times. Here we are, boom, and he's born in this nasty, stinky place, and he's put in a manger, and... In other words, he's put in a feeding trough. Like, I don't know about you all, but like, I would prefer my child would be born in a hospital, like where it's sterile and clean. Like those home birth people, I love you, but I don't know that I trust you, you know? Uh, like, you can't even call a home birth a delivery, can you? Like, you go to a hospital so they can deliver your child. Like, you can't call a home birth a delivery. If it's at home, it's called DiGiorno. Right? That's a lot. I did. I did. I didn't get Thomas to laugh. I got him to smile. I love you, Thomas. Thomas is one of... Dude, Thomas is one of our board members here, and he is the man of dad jokes, and I was hoping to get him with that one. Um... <laughs> It's DiGiorno. Uh, I heard that last year, and I thought it was the most genius thing I'd ever heard in my life. I can't believe I put that in a sermon. Moving forward. So back to Luke chapter 2, because the Bible gets Tony on the right path. Um, verse 8. That night, there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby. So they were close, right? 
I think sometimes we forget this nearby thing and we imagine this crazy long journey. They traveled far and wide. Like, no, they were down the street. So, fields nearby guarding their flocks of sheep. And suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them. And the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified, but the angel reassured them, don't be afraid. He said, I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth and lying in a manger. Suddenly, the angel was joined by a vast host of others, and the armies of heaven praised God, saying, glory to God in the highest heaven, and praise on earth to those whom God is pleased. When the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. They hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph. And there was the baby lying in the manger. After seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said about this child. All who heard the shepherd's story were astonished. But Mary kept all these things in her heart and thought about them often. The shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen. It was as the angel had said. So the shepherds are out in the field near Bethlehem. Why? Like we often, I don't think I've ever thought hard. Like why were these shepherds in a field near Bethlehem? Like I'm just like, they probably they live there, right? Like we just kind of accept this as true. And, and, and what, we, what we didn't know, and here's where I get into maybe our historical idea of this isn't accurate, uh, but what actually is taking place is Bethlehem was actually a city in which Levitical shepherds would have lived. So not just a shepherd, but a shepherd who specifically raised flocks of sheep that would ultimately become sacrifices in the temple. So here these guys are in the field, and their job is to make sure that these pregnant lambs get, get pregnant, get taken care of, and ultimately can go into what was a cave. There was a specific birthing cave, and in these caves is where they would ultimately give birth. And what would happen is when the lamb would come out, the firstborn of them would be pulled immediately, and they would look at this lamb, and they would inspect it, like in detail, like get as close as they could and they would look and check everything to see if this lamb was blameless. And when they would do is they would take a leg and they would look from toe all the way up to the body and they would check all of it. And when they saw this leg is blameless, they would wrap it in swaddling cloth. We think, oh, I always wrap my baby in swaddling cloth. That's what we do. Well, this is 2023, y'all. We can just buy that on Amazon. They couldn't do that then. That's not what they did. A baby would come out and boom, they had a baby. But here, what they used these swaddling cloths for, it was for lambs. It wasn't for children. And they would take this and they would wrap when they knew that was perfect. And then they moved to the next leg, flip the lamb over. You ever seen somebody handle a lamb? It's not how you should handle a baby. They flip it over. And they check and they start wrapping. It was perfect. And then they would check the tail. It's perfect. And they would check the front arms. It's perfect. They would check the neck, the head. It's perfect. And they would wrap it. They would check the body. It's perfect. And they would wrap it. And when it was all wrapped, then they would lie it down. And so what the angel is saying to the shepherds here is you're going to go to the place where the sacrificial lambs would be born. And you will find a child 
wrapped as a sacrificial lamb. That's what you'll find. And so, man, like what a crazy way to look at this. And it would be a cave, like this hole in the wall, and they would have them all over Bethlehem. This wouldn't be your nasty barn that we, that we look at, right? Like I just bought a nativity for my front yard. And it's important to me that this nativity didn't have your normal like barn arch. Because why? It's historically inaccurate. Mine has a Nestle arch with a star on it. It's beautiful. Uh, because the light of the world is here. The light of the world, Jesus is, is born. And, and God is, is writing this crazy story where he is bringing in a human child who is God to be sacrificed the same way that one of these lambs would be sacrificed for us. <clears throat> like the shepherds would have walked in and for the first time, instead of seeing a sacrificial lamb that would be brought to slaughter every year and it would just be cool for a year. For the first time, they're seeing the eternal sacrificial lamb. Once upon a time, I'm just going to bring this to an end because I think the Bible speaks for itself and I don't need to go any further. But once upon a time, Joseph was just a dude who loved God He was about to get married. Then one day, he was the father. In fact, a way maker for the Messiah. Once upon a time, these shepherds were just shepherds in a field who would tend to a sheep that would be sacrificed. And then one day, they were shepherds to the eternal sacrificial lamb. Once upon a time, you were what? What are you today? What are you today? Are you a husband, a mother? <clears throat> are you a worker? Do you climb trees for a living? Do you pick up people's trash? Do you cut people's hair? Like, what are you today? Once upon a time, you were you. But then what? But then Jesus did what? But then this Messiah made you what? Make you a forerunner for a legacy of believers in your family? Will he use you to be the one who lights a fire in the Phoenix Valley for Christ? Will he use you to disciple someone who disciples someone who disciples somebody who becomes the next Billy Graham? Will you become the next Billy Graham? Once upon a time, were you just lazy on a couch and then Christ turned your life upside down? That's my story. Once upon a time, I was drinking a bunch, playing a bunch of video games, and just thinking, depression is all I got. I'm just going to sit here and feel useless and know God has a plan for my life, but I'm just never going to do it because I, I'm not enough. But then he found me in my brokenness, called me out, 
now I get this opportunity. I, you know, I always thought the peak of this, the peak of my belief in Jesus, the peak of my calling is to, to be a salaried pastor working at a church preaching every Sunday. You know what I'm not? I'm not a salaried pastor at a church preaching every Sunday. I'm here preaching because the Lord is using me. But what I am is a dude who works at Amazon so I can pay the bills for my family. And I get to use that to love people at my work, but I got to use that to, to give to this church, my time, my talent, and my treasure. I get to use that so that I know that I have a roof over my head so I can come home and raise my daughter that the Lord graciously gave us. Yesterday was one year from the time that we got to tell our daughters that we were gonna adopt them. Once upon a time, I literally, I remember just, I remember I would get on video games. I played this stupid game every night, living in my mom's house, just like broke, not barely working, just like two hours a day or whatever at Red Robin. And I would just be sitting upstairs playing video games and I would, I would log on and, and, and these guys, and mind you, like I'm a Christian, mind you, like I'm serving at a church down the street. And I would log on to the video game and the, my friends would be like, yo, Tony's here. Are we getting drunk Tony today or sober Tony? What's it going to be like? Like that was my reality. And God plucked me out of obscurity. And he said, this is not the life I have for you. And the life you think I have for you is not the life I have for you. What I have for you is so much better. We look at the plot armor of Joseph. Like God writes this beautiful story and in it, he throws Joseph in to check off a bunch of prophecies. And you can easily just kind of like dismiss like, oh, the real father we care about obviously is our holy father. So we don't think about Joseph. But he's this plot armor. But, but what, what do we have now? Like we have the plot armor of Jesus. We win because the story dictates it. Because of what Jesus did for us on the cross, we win. And like that example with, with R2-D2 and C-3PO, we've seen the original trilogy. And then when we watch the prequel trilogy, we know they have to live Guys, we've seen the original trilogy. Our Heavenly Father has gone to prepare a place for us called eternity. And we know what it looks like to a degree, but I know it's going to be so much better than anything I've ever thought. We know what the original trilogy is. We know the gold. And right now we're just living in the prequel. And in the prequel, we win. Why? Because the story dictates it. Because the story God wrote is a story where he does, in fact, redeem us back to himself. That he does, in fact, make a way for us. And we get to live in eternity for him. I don't know about you all, but I'm tired. I'm just being vulnerable. I'm not like poking at anyone. I'm being vulnerable about me here. Like I'm tired of living my life like today actually kind of matters. Can I be honest? Like, yes, it matters if I'm leading people to Jesus who are going to be there, but like outside of that, what outside of that, outside of that, what 
Like I'm so obsessed with the next video game or the next soccer jersey I want to buy or you know my stupid action figure collection, right? Like I'm so obsessed with this stuff. Why? I think we should enjoy things, absolutely. I think we should have hobbies that we can especially use to minister to other people. Like how awesome is it that sports is such a thing that you can be like, I love sports and I love Jesus. Let me tell you about him, right? Like that's awesome. But why am I obsessed with it to the point that it takes place of Christ? Why am I obsessed with the food I'm going to eat? I've been talking about this, but I've been on this journey where I realized my relationship with food is sinful. Like I get stressed at work and I immediately go buy snacks. Like I don't stop and pray. I had this meeting where I just felt that the Lord, I, I had this meeting with my, with my boss and he made me angry. Like I wanted to punch a hole in the wall. I haven't been this mad in a long time. And I was late to another meeting because of my boss. And knowing I was already late to this meeting and I was going to go to an angry, instead of stopping and just being like, Jesus, I need you right now, I immediately went to our break room and I bought like four or five snacks. I didn't know what I wanted, so I grabbed some chips. I was like, there's some savory. And then I grabbed some chocolate. And then I was like, oh, I want something like fruity. So I went and grabbed some fruity energy drink, which I also don't need, right? And like, next thing you know, I have all these snacks. I'm walking into this meeting late and I put them down on the table and nobody else has any food. And here's Tony in this room. I'm sitting next to a guy much bigger than me and he's looking over at me like Tony is eating his feelings right now. And that's exactly what I was doing. And I just, this was a revelation to me from the Lord. Like, Tony, can't you choose me? Like, can't you choose me right now? Y'all, are we choosing Jesus right now? Like, we know, we know, like, we know what's coming. Why do I care what my neighbor said? They're just broken. Why am I offended? Can we? Oh, I'm going to offend some of you by saying this. Can we stop getting so offended over nothing? When I am in eternity, I'm not going to be sitting there be like, Jesus, hold on. Before we get into the good stuff, can I vent first? I'll just be vulnerable again. I literally, this is not an exaggeration. I literally cannot count how many times my wife has had to say to me this, just this last year alone. All right, Tony, pause. Tell me three positive things. Tell me three positive things. Like, why am I focused on the negative? Like, I know the coming king and I know where he's coming to take me and I know that he wants me to bring other people with him. I heard this wonderful analogy this last week about some guys who played a, a six-day Monopoly game. A six-day Monopoly game. After day two, they ran out of money. This is like in the 60s. What, what better did they have to do in the 60s besides drugs and Monopoly, I guess. So they, they played this six-day Monopoly game and they're college students. They needed to go to class. And so before they could go to class, uh, they're like, crap, we got to go to class, but we're still playing this game. So instead of going to class, they, they hit up the local like radio station. And they're like, you should cover us playing this game. Like we've been going for more than 24 hours. Like, no way. So the radio station starts covering it and it starts blowing up. Well, then they run out of money. Like the game doesn't have money and no one's eliminated. I don't know about y'all, but 
Either they're really crafty players or horrible players, like one or the other. No one runs out of money. So what they do is they go and they, uh, they call the radio station again. The radio station gets a hold of the creators of the game and they said the bank will not fail and they sent them like a million dollars of paper money like because the game has 22,000 paper money so they sent them a million dollars they fly it overnight they hire a security Brinks truck to pick it up from the airport and drive it to the college dorm and these guys keep playing the school's economics classes cancel class and say let's go watch these guys play Monopoly because obviously they get economics better than you guys right? So now you got the school watching and the game goes for like six days and they keep playing and they keep playing and they're like, ah, and I, I and ultimately they just said, is this worth it? Like they're at the sixth day and they're like, all right, game over guys. Like we're done. And when they were done, was that money worth anything? Like when they played the game, that money was worth everything. But what is it worth today when the game is over and we put it in the box to probably never play again because I don't have six days to do this? That money is now paper. Now I could launch into tithing and I'm just going to tell you if you don't trust Jesus with your tithe, do it. Just trust him. But I'm not going to launch into that. What I'm going to say is what are we doing with our life? What is this money? Is it the horrible Cardinals who keep losing and then somehow win? Is it, is it video games? Like, again, I'm talking about me here, y'all. Like, I'm looking at people, but I know, like, we're in the same boat here. Like, I am making things important that aren't important. And God is saying that, like, I came to you. Can you go for me? Like I came to you and not just that, I'm not just telling you go live a life of obscurity and hope that it works out, but I've already told you I have this place for you. Here's 351 things I already accomplished so you know that that place is real. Go. We go because Jesus came to us. Family, I think it's time that we call ourselves higher. Like, I remember a season where I was coming to church after working night shift. I'd get off at 6 a.m. I'd drive here, be here at 7 a.m. practice, play on the worship team, and then go sleep in my car because I was exhausted and like not contributing anything except for the fact that I was playing bass and like certainly not contributing anything to my family. Uh, my wife is like, yo, I don't want to have a kid right now because I don't even see you. How am I going to be a single mom with you sleeping during the day? Like, this doesn't sound fun. Like I remember that season. I remember the Lord coming in and saying, I have more for you. And him making a way when I said, okay, Lord, I'll let you make a way. Like, I'll let you make a way. God is saying to you right now, like, I'll make a way for these things to matter less to you. Like, I'll make a way for your finances to open up. Like, I'll make a way for that job situation to open up. Man, right now, you know what I'm believing for? I'm, I'm believing that God's going to make a way for me to have real friends. I can have relationship with that we can do ministry together. Like God is saying, just open up and I'll make a way. Go ahead and stand with me as we pray. Thanks again for listening to this message at Rivers Church. We'd love to have you subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already. 
To learn more about what's going on in the life of our church community, check us out at riverschurch.co. I pray that this week you would walk in the power and the presence of God. Thanks for joining us.